This is Mal Pope, and you're listening to Stuart Pink on Phoenix FM. Yes, it is. And I'm honoured to say that zooming onto the show is a Welsh legend of the music scene, singer, songwriter, producer, TV and radio presenter, and all-round top bloke, Mal Pope. Hello, Mal. Hi, uh, it sounds like I don't know exactly what I do in life. It's funny when you do the passport thing, you think, what are you supposed to do? And I think, what, what am I doing this week? Anyway, I'm a musician. That's the thing. I'm a musician, Stuart. How are you? All right? I'm all right. Yes. Thanks for coming on. Great. It's good to be here. Thanks for, thanks for adding the record to the playlist. It makes a lot of difference. Oh, it's a, it's a brilliant record. I've been loving it. I, I introduced it the other day. I said, that's a cracking little number. And if I've <laughs> said the phrase little number for a long time, uh, I don't know where, what it came over me. It's a brilliant tune. Love it. Absolutely <laughs> great. Thank you. So I feel honoured for two reasons, uh, not only that you're on the show, but also you replied to my email during the week, uh, during the middle of a Wales game at the, at the Euros. It shows my commitment, doesn't it? It shows my commitment to, <laughs> to, to my craft. Uh, yeah, it's been, no, it's, the Euros are fantastic, aren't they? I mean, you know, this week is when every game is on and you, you can't miss a game. And then next week it gets a bit less. And by the third week, you think, you know, what am I going to do this afternoon? There's nothing, there's no, yeah. there's no football on. Nothing but, on until uh, Saturday. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, but it's good, isn't it? It is good. And uh, and it's a lovely atmosphere. And it's just great to see see people having fun again, seeing some of the, some of the you know stadiums having people in. Isn't it wonderful? Oh, it's a bit healing, isn't it? It's nice to nice to see. I hope I didn't um, when, when I emailed you and you emailed me back. It wasn't, you didn't miss the goal, like the only uh, key no, moment. I, I would feel bad if no. <laughs> <laughs> it was during the penalty when you were like, I'm not going to watch. I'm going to send an email instead. Yeah, well done. Well done. No, it was great. <laughs> and, yeah. And then the feeling in this part of the world at the moment is wonderful. You know, it really is. It makes a difference to people, isn't it? When you when you start winning games and enjoying enjoying life again. Yes, absolutely. So where are you zooming in from? Mal would describe the scene. What's what's the backdrop? Um, where are we? I'm, I'm in the garden shed. Um, oh, the garden shed. Oh, wow. Lovely. Yeah. I'm, I'm an old guy in a shed. Uh, you know, so years ago when I was, you know, I used to go to lots of different studios, but I wanted to work at home, but the, you can't you can't work in the house and you've got kids and all that. So I built a shed at the top of the garden and it's grow, It's a bit like Topsy. It's grown and grown and grown. It's got. A, it's actually got a TV studio in here as well. <laughs> wow, like, what a shed. It's like Narnia. It is, and it's like so. When I checked it, you said, "Do you, you know? Do you want video as well, Stuart? Because if you do, it takes me ten minutes to get all the cameras set up and the lights." But um, it's been great because it means I can uh, during lockdown. You know, obviously, it's been horrendous for everybody, and for musicians and, and you know artists, it's been hard. But in other ways, it's been it's been you know wonderful because you you couldn't go out on tour. We've missed it, but it means you've had to find other ways to be creative. And having having my garden shed really did make a difference. Um, you know, and actually, any yeah. musician. You know who's got a garden shed at the moment probably has a triple album all ready to be released because we've all been doing, <laughs> you know, recording and writing ourselves and, and mixing with people online, you know, which has been great. It's been strange, isn't it? I feel the same. I feel I've hardly left the room, but at the same time, I've met so many more people in the last yeah. year just online sitting in a in a room. Yeah. And I, and I hopefully that doesn't, you know, you want to meet people again, but hopefully that doesn't change that ability to, you know, like even the TV programs, you, you're used now to people being on Zoom. So there, it opens the door to so many more people to be involved in the media. You know, you don't have to go to that studio at the BBC or with ITV. You can you can Zoom in your performance and it means it's a, it's a bigger world. More, more voices are being heard. Yeah, we need more sheds like yours. That's what we need. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's no spiders in this shed. This isn't like a... The sort of shit uh, I've got. <laughs> well, it, it does have its moments, but at the moment, it, I think it's you know it's cluttered, but it's it's clean. <laughs> You're safe. You're not going to be eaten alive by an eight-legged monster. No. <laughs> awesome. So, Mal, I know listeners are, are certainly enjoying your current single. We'll have a, a good chat about that in a while. Um, 
but but first you've got one hell of a biography so so let's start with with that um tell us a bit about your 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 humble beginnings in in music as a as a boy yeah, well, I came from, I was brought up in a little, little gospel halls or chapel background, uh, but so lots of music in and around the house. My grandmother, Mavan, me, four foot tall, five foot wide, used to play the pump <laughs> harmonium. She, she was terrific, loved music. Uh, and my brother came back from Spain with a Spanish guitar in 19, 1967. I borrowed it, pinched it, uh, started writing songs on it very early on. I, I think basically I was sort of copying his, his Simon and Garfunkel and Cat Stevens records. But uh, a friend of his said when I was about 10 or 11, maybe 12, he said, you ought to record these songs and send them to John Peel on Radio 1. I, I The truth is I'd never heard of John Peel because his, his show started at 10 o'clock and it really was past my bedtime. <laughs> so, yeah, um, not allowed to stay up that late. No, exactly. You know, they used to wake me up when Sports Night with Coleman was on so I could see some of the European matches. You know, you go to bed early, wake up later on to, to watch the matches. Yeah. But anyway, so I wasn't allowed to do that with Radio, Radio 1, but I did. I borrowed my dad's tape recorder, recorded them just in the front room on my Spanish guitar, sent them off. Now, the story I was told by John Walters, who was John Peel's producer, was that they were so... You know, they were horrified, I think, about a 12-year-old singer-songwriter from Wales. Uh, they had to find a special tape recorder in the vaults of the BBC because the tape recorder was so old. But they played it, and <laughs> they, they liked it. They, they were sort of enamoured by it, which meant that um, they wrote to, to me asking, can my parents give me permission to go and do a session? So I did the session, uh, and six weeks later, Elton John phoned the house and, and asked me to sign to his new record company. I mean, the odd thing is, looking back, these you know how these sliding doors moments happen, uh, there were two companies that really were keen, apparently, on signing me, and they the people at uh, John's show, John Beale's show, said, look, we know Elton, he's a good guy, we think you should sign with him. There is another company, we think they might be a bit fly-by-night. And those were the words. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're called Virgin. And, um, <laughs> oh, it's just some upstart lot. Yeah, exactly. So I could have been one of the first signs of Virgin, but in the end, I was one of the first signs to rock it instead. But, and it was brilliant, you know, and, and Elton was always has been fantastic to me. I mean, that must have been amazing for a, a young musician starting out, hanging out with people like, like Elton John and meeting John Peel and, and living the yeah. suddenly in the fame. You know, it's funny because I'm I'm talking a lot about it now and lots of images coming back into mind. I mean, I used to go with, you know, I went with John Peel and, and his, his producer you know, to this, this underground, you know, uh, club in Soho. It wasn't one of those. To, to hear a band called The Persuasions, there were five guys who used to just sing a cappella from the streets of either Philadelphia or New York. I mean, those moments, I went to see Roy Wood with his band, Eddie and the Falcons with these guys as well. So I was going to all these things. I mean, with Elton, uh, I mean, they, you know, they picked me up for the first time I went to London. Uh, they, they picked me up in a white Rolls Royce, you know, took me to the school. <laughs> oh, wow. And then, but without, I'd go, well, I would go to all the parties. I was like the record company mascot. And so I remember going to the Hammersmith Odeon for one of his Christmas shows. Then we all went back to the, this loft, I think, in Covent Garden. Um, the bartender was Graham Chapman from Monty Python. You know, <laughs> the, life right. of the barman, and then uh, every music, Cat Stevens was there. You know, Brian Eno, Brian Ferry, uh, Ringo Starr, and I, I. I went round. Elton took me round by the hand to meet all of these people with my autograph book, oh, and I've got, I've got all their autographs, and I still got them. So it does. It did happen, you know, because sometimes it feels like it was almost someone else's life. You know, when I used to go training with Watford Football Club because Elton knew I was a mad, you know, mad keen footballer, and not too bad until my knees went stiff, um, and. <laughs> I'd go, I stayed at his house and, you know, one of my big claims to fame is not that he produced me at Abbey Road, but that I beat him at Sir Beauty of Football 3-2, you know, in his games room. So it's like... Oh, what's an experience. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's been amazing. been amazing. So I presume while I was going on, you still had to do the whole 
school life as well. Yeah, and in, in many ways, uh, that's probably the reason why I'm not a, you know, apart from the fact that nobody bought the records, but I'm not an international, you know, superstar, is that my parents were both teachers. And so even though I was doing this, this showbiz lifestyle during the school holidays, uh, you know, I didn't go to a stage school in London or anything. I just kept on with my schooling. And, uh, you know, nature was taking its course. So for the very first album I did, you know, by the time it was due to be released, my voice had changed, you know, dramatically. Yeah, um, I'd see you on tour and go, is this the same guy? Yeah, I mean, you know, the records are out there. So you've got, you've got this, it, it sounds like I'm on speed or something, you know, like the, the records on, you know, 45 when it was a 33. So then I, I started working with a guy called Gus Dudgeon. Now, Gus was Elton's producer. He produced Space Oddity. You know, he was producing oh, all wow. of Elton's albums at the same time. So I was working with all of Elton's band. I mean, incredible. Now I realize what what a gift that was. At the time, I didn't. I probably didn't appreciate it. I just took it for granted. But I was learning at the feet of the masters, and I was like fifteen years old. But we we would do the same hours as normal Gus Dudgeon sessions, which were very long. And I remember I, f I was really tired one night, but we had to stay in the studio, the Marquee Studios, because these tapes were being flown in from America that Gus wanted to listen to and wanted to start mixing. It was it was Elton John and John Lennon performing at Madison Square Garden. You know? Oh, wow. And I'm at the back, <laughs> I'm at the back of the, the, the control room on the city asleep. While, <laughs> while it's being played and mixed for the first time. I mean, it's, you know, oh, it is, amazing. I was reminded yesterday of a story that they, they, they used to try and spoil me as well. You know, so there's training with Watford and all that. But I was staying in London doing some sessions. They said, like, tomorrow's a day off. We're going to pick you up from the from the uh, hotel. So I got myself nice and ready, w w was taken to this big house, uh, knocked the door. Pete Townsend opened the door. It was, it was their recording studio. I go Whoa. in, the whole of Elton's band is there. It was the day they recorded Pinball Wizard. Uh, and not only was I there, you know, Keith Moon was there, <laughs> Ken Russell was there, all of Elton's band, Gus was producing it. They'd got me a special seat above the piano booth so I could just watch Elton working. Uh, and oh, I'm my just, God. You know, I'll How never cool. I'll never forget that. Well, not for a long time anyway. <laughs> was there a pinball machine anywhere in sight? No, but he had, one in the, he had one in the house, which was the pinball machine based on Pinball Wizard. So, he, you know, he had the whole the whole kit and caboodle. Every toy you could think of. That's what Elton had. Fantastic. I just imagine you going back to school in Wales and all your mates going, none of this happened, did it? <laughs> you know, the, the, that was the, the lovely thing about it was, yes, for two or three days, it would be a talking point and then it would be back to being normal. So, yeah. If I have survived this age without, you know, completely going, I mean, I've gone off the rails a bit, Stu, but I, without going, going <laughs> completely off the rails, maybe that grounding, you know, and people knowing who you are and not losing touch with them, maybe that has helped a little bit. You know, yes, so. I was going to ask you that, whether you felt it, it, it helped you keep a foot in reality while all this was going on as a youngster. Yeah. And, and you know, when, you, when you're seeing firsthand some of the biggest musicians in the world, you know, when you walk into Abbey Road when you're 16 years old, I mean, I've got the tapes very kindly. Elton has given me all my copyrights back and a lot of the tapes that we recorded together, you know, but I, I, he sings. So when I'm playing the piano with this band in, you know, the big studio in, in Abbey Road, because I can't sing and play at the same time because it will go over the piano mics, Elton yeah. says, I'll, I'll do the rough vocals, you know, so... Not only am I, I'm playing the piano for Elton John oh, to sing no. my songs. Um, <laughs> you know, so that's, that's sort of bizarre. And I haven't thought about that maybe in 20 or 30 years. So thanks for reminding me. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful stuff. So all this happened. And then somewhere between the, the, the 70s and the 80s, the, the punk rock revolution started. And that 
threw a bit of a, a curveball your way. Yeah, I was in, I was in completely the right place. So at the time, I was still sort of with Rocky, but just about to leave them because I was going to be managed by Harvey Goldsmith, the biggest rock promoter in the world. Uh, yeah. I just, just about to sign a new deal with EMI. And uh, I mean, punk took over the world and I was just, you know, completely the right place, but completely the wrong time. Um, and it, I, you know, I couldn't get arrested. So <laughs> it just, you know, so what are you going to do? And um, so I moved back to Wales, you know, I, I licked my, you know, on my wounds and came back and got, got involved in, in broadcasting, a bit of radio, a bit of TV, but then oh, bouncing back and forth between the music, you know, and every so often there'd be a gl little bit of a glimmer of hope. So somebody would record the song. So, you know, Cliff Richard or the Hollies would pick up on a song, which would suddenly give you a little bit of a boost. Yeah. You, you might do um i got through to the, the final of song for europe i didn't enter it i have to say i didn't end the song for europe somebody had heard a song a publisher and put it in so you end up on the terry wogan show with 17 million people what wow the roddy hazelhurst orchestra i'm there it looking like an ice cream salesman you can see it online if you want to if you look for <laughs> what year was it 1987 um we've got three girl backing vocalists a fantastic harmonica player and you, i remember you know be without being rude, in being the loo the, before going out to the Song for Europe final, which is when they choose who goes to Eurovision. Oh, and yeah. I remember sitting there, well, I'm sitting there, thinking about, I'm either going to sing this song for the rest of my life or I'm never going to sing it again. Yeah, that's and basically where it's at. I don't think I've ever sung it again, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know hey, so, in some ways, are you relieved that's the way it went? Or? Ex <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, all of these experiences, uh, they, they they build you into, into being the sort of the person you are and the musician you are you know for, for me to stand in front of ronnie hazelhurst and the orchestra i mean that's a gift just like the uh, abbey road with elton um you know to to do i don't know to uh, you know but actually failure is good as well <laughs> you know failure is good for you because it does make you realize what's important in life the music is incredibly important but there are more important things and i think sometimes if you are incredibly successful and you build your whole life on that success you know i mean i did you know I, i'm sure you were going to mention it so let me let me see if you the truth i did fireman sam's theme song i sing fireman sam right? yeah that was the thing that stood out for me i was like i remember as a kid watching this this guy a, sang this whole, song there's a whole generation and the weird thing is i, I look at my youtube channel I, and i'm checking it this morning because i've got the new single up and all everything the big hit still it's like I've had 80,000 views <laughs> of the Fireman Sam song over the last 28 days. I mean, it's, it's bizarre. But there, as you say, there's a whole generation of people like you, Stuart, who, who grew up. And it's such a lovely program, you know, and it's funny. And actually, yes. there's a lot. John Alderton does the, the voices and he's great. There's a lot of, of funny lines in there that maybe kids don't, don't get. And the theme song, you know, well, it still goes around the world. And, um, you know, I was young. I needed the money. But I did, I, you know, I, I had four kids. So what am, what am I going to do? Somebody already offers you a gig. Um, you take it. You take it. And yeah. You live with the consequences, Stuart. You live with the consequences. Did you, do your kids know uh, at the time that you'd, you'd written that? Or did you keep that one? They were totally embarrassed at the time. And now <laughs> they're in their 20s and early 30s. Two of them live in London. And i got to tell you, one of the first lines they use when they're chatting people up is, yeah, my dad sang uh, Five and Sam. <laughs> <laughs> they might not hold out on John Gig. You know, that's, that's exactly that's the second line. <laughs> oh, beautiful stuff. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Still going, still going. That's the main thing. Still going. Still going strong. So uh, uh, with all your your uh, contacts in the in the music industry, uh, you, you went on to present 
um, what, what turned out to be a huge music show, uh, the, the Mal Pope show. Yeah, hours of executive decision went into that, the Mal Pope show. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a way of, I mean, I'd started doing some radio and I, I did have this amazing contacts book. So uh, we managed to get everybody to come down to Wales to, you know, we had the Bee Gees, we had Cliff Richard on the show. But the thing was, it, it, it was, it was sort of like Lady with Jules Holland, house band and all of that. People would come down, promote their record, but then they'd come and play with us. Yeah, so a bit I'd, of a jam session at the same time. Yeah. And we would sing with, you know, with, uh, I don't know, um, George Melly. We'd do Sandy Shaw. We'd do whoever was the latest, you know, act who had a record. I'd, you know, Go West, Paul Young. They all came down and then they'd come and sing with the band. I mean, the legendary nights were when we got some of the, the, the star Welsh performers, like Dave Edmonds, got him back from Los Angeles. He came in. We uh, we did the Christmas special. It was him. It was Bonnie Tyler. It was Howard Jones on keyboards. Oh, and wow. it turned into a jam. An all-star band. Yeah, it went live, snow came down, and then Dave Edmonds looked at me, and we hadn't done I Hear You Knocking. He said, should we do it? And it's just, we had a party in the in the television studio. They put the cameras away, and everybody just had a party, because it was just a great... <laughs> and, and the interesting thing is, like even like Cliff, Cliff Richard's done a couple of my songs, but it's like, you don't you don't get to know somebody until you, you sit next to them. I mean, I went to do the interview with him, actually, at Shepparton Studios, he was rehearsing. So I had a guitar... I brought it with me, put it in a corner. He had a guitar next to him. And we set up with the cameras and I say, do you mind if we get our guitars out? And and Cliff looked at me and I've, obviously I've seen him on the TV loads and he looked at me and said, what do you mean? I said, well, <laughs> you know, if, if we talked about some holiday, you know, you could play a bit, I could play a bit. And then again, there's another long, and it couldn't have been that long, but it was just long enough to make me think, oh no. Felt like an attorney. <laughs> and he went, okay. And then we, we, we did an interview which lasted like an hour and a half because we just kept on playing songs. And it's, you know, he gets asked about everything else, but I suppose the music is really what's important to him and singing what's important. And there's a strange moment when you're a musician, when you meet somebody else and they're not quite sure. You, you do the first couple of chords, you do the first couple of notes, and hopefully there's a look in their eye that, it, okay, this isn't going to be a complete disaster. The guy sort of has some idea what he's doing. And <laughs> and that's been that's been great all the way along. So I, I often take... I once interviewed Neil, Neil Finn from... Um, uh, from Crowded House, down the telephone. He was in a hotel in London, and I had a guitar in the studio in, in, in Wales. And yeah. I said, do you mind if we do four seasons in one day? You know, <laughs> and we did it down the phone. <laughs> I've still got a recording of it. So um, it, it's been, you know, taking risks on radio, as I'm sure you know, Steve, sometimes can be disastrous. But when it works, <laughs> it can be, there can be magic moments. Absolutely. It must have been so nice for you to, to spend that time with those people that you already knew and, and not only give them a, a platform, but be back in, get back into performing again after spending more time on the broadcasting side of things yeah it was it was a joy and you know sadly those days came and went and the, the money disappeared from our part of the world to make those programs um but you know we i still dream big dreams Stuart. you know even after all these years i still i don't think i i don't think i've done the job that i'm supposed to do quite yet and so all those skills you know i, I the last album i did was a, was an album called butterfly and, and the, the title track is all about, you know, when you get to a certain age, ageism is is one of the isms that is still around at the moment. And maybe it doesn't, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, but I, I keep on thinking, I've been the caterpillar. I've been in the cocoon. Now you can stay nice and comfy in the cocoon. But actually, I was 
We were all born to be butterflies. It's hard to push yourself out of that cocoon because it's nice and comfy, but I want to spread my wings. And it might be towards the end of the life cycle of a butterfly that you do get to show your colours. Um, but, you know, all those experiences leading up to becoming a butterfly are really important to giving you strength in those wings. Oh, what a lovely sentiment. Should we have a listen to it now? Should we, should we play it? So this is Butterfly from your, from your Fantastic. Album. Thank you very much. This is Phoenix 98FM. The title track from Butterfly by Mal. Hello, Mal. You still with me, Mal Pope? I'm still here. Still, you can't get rid of me quite yet. Can't get rid of me. Oh, a lovely tune. So I was, I was literally going to ask you about this. So through, through your career uh, and your life, you've, you've taken some uh, difficult, bold, brave decisions to, to shake things up, try something new, um, put on a, a new outfit and, and to go for a different vibe. A lot of people, um, I think, live to regret that in not being brave enough to, to take that change in direction and do something different. Um, when you talk about it and you think about back to 13-year-old Mal or 25-year-old Mal, what advice would you give yourself about those big moments and big changes in your life? I think, you know, anybody who suffers uh, setbacks, it's, it's, it's how you deal with the setbacks in life is the really important thing. You know, like Gareth Bale was playing for Wales this week and he took a penalty and he, you know, he would have got three points. He went straight over the crossbar. Now, yeah. it's really easy in those moments to feel sorry for yourself, to get disappointed. But actually what he did was he kept going to the end and, and, and created a goal in, the, in extra time, which, you know, which sent the world into rapture, my part of the world into rapture. There have been times when it's looked like the end. <laughs> You know, literally, <laughs> but it never is unless you want it to be. I, I one of the projects I, I started writing musicals as you do, and I, it started because I told somebody I'm going to write a musical, and then you sort of you you have to live up to your word. And uh, one of them was about a boxer called Tommy Farr who fought Joe Louis at uh, Yankee Stadium in 1937 and uh, took him the distance. Did he win or didn't he win? Anyway, um, I was working with a guy called uh, Enzo Macronelli. He's from Swansea. He was the world welterweight champion. His dad Mario was a very old, wise boxing coach, like the guys from Rocky and all that. And I remember, oh, yeah. <laughs> him, I remember him saying to him once, he said, uh, we all take a punch. We all take a punch. He said, what do you do? Because he was Italian and I've got to tell about it, but he, we all take a punch. He said, you go down on one knee, you put your arm on the rope, you count to eight, then you get up and get back in the fight. And I think that's important, you know, because he wasn't talking about boxing at all. Yeah. It's about when we get those hits, don't give you, allow yourself to take the pain and to build your strength up before you start again, because it's, you can start again, or you can stay on the floor, or you can get up too quick and then get knocked down too quickly. So it, there's a lot of wisdom in boxing. And that's one of the things I've taken on. And the, the older I've got, the more it's been important because you do, it's devastating when things go wrong. It's yeah. devastating. Um, but it's not the end. It's not the end until it's all over. As you said earlier, they, they sort of shape what you become to be later on anyway yeah yeah it's important it, you know fail is important it's how you handle it is the is even more important nice now bringing us back up to date mal 2021 what uh what's this bizarre 12 month period been like uh for you ah, it's it's been horrendous and it's been wonderful lost my dad couldn't see him you know small funeral oh. You get yeah. no work every gig cancelled although i do have a gig in the book maybe i'll talk about that before we, we finally say goodbye hey. um 
I was lucky to have the shed. Uh, sadly, a, a dear friend of mine at BBC Radio Wales passed away suddenly, suddenly. And I was asked to look after his show because I had the shed. So it ended up being a, a six-month gig, which was which was terrific and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But what it meant was 10 till 1 o'clock. By 1 o'clock in the morning, I'd finished the show, but I was still buzzing. The adrenaline was still pumping. So I stayed in the shed and just started writing, writing, writing. And it was a very hot summer last summer. And it's uh, yeah. I kept on thinking of the summers of my youth, 75, 76, 77. They used to seem to go on forever. And the music was the music of Philadelphia. It was before punk had taken over, so it was Philadelphia. It was Philadelphia Freedom, you know. It was it was the Detroit Spinners, the OJs, and I just wanted to try and capture that moment again with the, with it being so warm. So I I started here. I couldn't go to Philadelphia, or um, it, so I went to a place called Astragunlice, where my uh, string arranger lives, and he I told him what I wanted. He's a bit younger than me. He started working with me as a youth youth was it youth enterprise or something. He was seventeen years old, work experience. And yeah. so I had to send him copies of Elton John's Philadelphia Freedom and uh, arrangements by a guy called Gene Page, who did all the Barry White records. He said, oh, I can, yeah, I can do that. So he sent me back his bits, and it just made me laugh. Then I sent it to my keyboard player, and he 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 did all the Bee Gees-type sounds from the 70s, and it made me laugh. <laughs> but it was always a little bit of a twist, because they're working with good people in, in the meantime and up-to-date people. So it is retro, but hopefully it has a bit of a modern twist in it. But I haven't seen them. All the players on the on this record are my dearest, oldest friends, and in two years, I really haven't seen them. So we've done it all on Zoom and uh, on the internet, wow. and I'm sending wives back and forth. And uh, yeah, it's it's been it's been different, but you know, you got to you've got to live with the the tools at hand and the conditions at hand. You've got to, and you be you want to be creative, and um, you know, it's been a great reaction to it. I think people have got it. I think they've smiled at the references, and and hopefully, hopefully, it does sound like, sound like a summer record. Oh, definitely. It's the sound of summer here. I, I thought exactly the same. I thought this is definitely vibes of the 70s uh, with a yeah. bit of a modern edge. On That's it. good. That's good. You've got the got the, exactly. Thank you. Beautiful stuff. So we're going to we'll give it a spin now. Do you want to introduce it for us? And we'll play it. Yeah, this is the brand new single. It's on the B list uh, for Phoenix. It's Mal Pope and I Still Think About You. This is Phoenix 98 FM. The brand new single from the brilliant Mal Pope. I still think about you. What a lovely track, Mal. Well, thank you. I thank you. I mean, you know, let's keep the let's keep the sunshine and let's put the roof down and and let's put the record on. <laughs> oh yes, that is what it's all about. The sun is shining through the clouds every time that comes on. Just just lovely. So this is all part of a, a larger piece of work. It is, yeah. I mean, I, I talk, jokingly say about a triple album, but I've got so much music. But you know, I, I think again, this this year has taught us so much about how people consume music. I mean, the last album, Butterfly, you know, I flew to Prague to record the orchestra, came back, I was so excited about the record, put it out, just as as lockdown happened. And and I, what I have been doing is is doing more and more podcasts with various different people. And you know, you can do a podcast every week, and people will tune in again to see what the next part of the story is. And I think. My my involvement with music might be the same now. I think I'll probably put out a single or a, you know a little batch of songs more regularly than the one big dump of uh, of rec of uh, an yeah. album. Yeah, sometimes the songs can get lost in that sort of like that album release. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm I'm hoping you know I've got a plan now to to release records up to Christmas and then into the new year as well. And they're all slightly different, but hopefully uh, all out of the same sort of creative period. And um, and it's building, you know, it's building very nicely. And that's that's really exciting too. You know, there's no point in sitting at home saying, you know, the world has changed. You can't stop it. You know, you can't be King Canute and stop the, the sea from coming in. You have to accept it. That's the way it is. And you have to live with those new terms and, and make the, I mean, it, it, the 13 year old me 
would have had a chance to have had a computer and and do all the, the you know the sampling now it, it wouldn't just be a, a spanish guitar and, and my dad's old tape recorder so yeah the technology has moved on and we should grab it and just try and make the most of it and it, it opens the door to so many more people absolutely and so much more to to learn and to discover and and create with yeah and inspire people isn't it you know you can you can yeah you can get very inspired very quickly with a computer it doesn't it's not all just just numbers it's it can be inspiring exactly so we've got new singles coming out up till christmas drop in um and you've got a gig in the diary i got a gig uh, well i've had, the, hey. I've, had, I've had the same tour in the diary uh for the since 2019 <laughs> was it and, it and it's kept on being you know pushed back and back and back and um and so there's one that stayed in there, the Grand Pavilion Porth Call. Now it's a it's a massive venue, um, but we're going to do we're going to limit it. I think it's going to be limited to forty people, cabaret style, um, social distance, as a test case. And I'm going to be performing from behind a perspex sheet. Oh wow! Um, it's like throw what they like at you. It won't. <laughs> just me, not the band. Nobody's going to turn. Nobody, nobody's going to be in the band. It's going to be me. I might have some videos behind as well. But I'm, yeah. there's two things. I'm one. I'm really excited, and two. I'm really nervous because I. I haven't played live, yeah, in 18 months to two years. So it's going to be, I've got to learn the songs again. got to learn the words. Um, <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's jazz, you know, like with the football, with the crowds in the stadiums. It's just, it's, isn't it lovely to see life returning to, to some sort of start of normality? So very excited. I hope they don't cancel it last minute now. But, um, yeah, if you're in, in the Grand uh, Pavilion Porth Call area uh, on the 9th of July, I'll see if I can squeeze you in, Stuart. See if I can squeeze you in. Oh, absolutely. I'll be the one front and centre. Other side of the perspex. <laughs> I'll see if I can remind you of the lyrics just in case. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Now, anything else coming up in the next? Uh, the, I know you do way more than just the music. Uh, you say podcasts? Yeah, lots of podcasts. I mean, if, if uh, I've got a website, as everybody has, so malpope.com, which has got all the different bits and bobs uh, on, on there as well. So, yeah, just, you know, just, just trying to. Um, Trying to keep going, uh, still writing, still writing, still recording, still mixing, and um, still yeah, in just, the shed. Just, yeah, just working on the Christmas record at the moment in the middle middle of summer. It's, that's the way it is, isn't it? That's the way it always is. So the tinsel <laughs> the tinsel's going up in the shed next week. Oh, fantastic! I oh, will have to get you on to uh, to do the Christmas intro. Yeah, we'll do. We'll do. Well, yeah, <laughs> I got your number now, Stu. I got your number. Exactly, Mal. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been an honour to have you on the show. Yeah, well, thank you. And I'm honoured to be on it. And uh, th thanks for your great questions. Really, really good questions. I've been Stuart Pink and you've been listening to the Now You're Talking podcast. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Now, I consider myself very lucky to have met and talked to some incredible people from so many walks of life, ranging from comedy icons and movie stars to community heroes legends of rock school kids the fastest man in a tuk tuk and a 104 year old chicken farmer all sorts has been going on from backstage at latitude festival and cliffs pavilion to zoom calls pubs classrooms and care homes i've thoroughly enjoyed unearthing over a hundred fascinating life stories from over a hundred awesome people to hear another one or to hear all of these episodes and these chats go to stuartpink.com forward slash interviews you can also subscribe to this podcast to get the next one delivered directly to your device at stuartpink.com
that's all right. Do we cover everything? Is there anything you want to um, no, I think, I think go more, over? Or? Give me more than adequate time to hang myself. So I appreciate it. <laughs> it's great, man. It, that was great. That was really good. God bless you. Ta-da.